Game Boys. Yeah, it's probably Discord doing noise suppression. They think they're so smart. Yeah, I think they're real cool guys about it. They think they're certified freaks seven days a week. Mm, yeah, that's the phrase we all love to say and that you have been already said four times since we got on this call two minutes ago. The P word, the M, M word. Um, damn, what's, what's up all my P words? What's going on? Man, What's happening? I've watched. Uh, it's today is probably the day that I've watched the most uh, Joe Rogan and Ben Shapiro content of my mm-hmm. life. Uh, oh wait, what, what happened to Roro? Joe Ro? Uh, Rogan has this clip. I'll send it to you after the podcast. But it's super funny. He's like talking about this guy who's like a sort of back to nature survivalist in in Alaska, and he's like the guy says that there's, like, this connection from, like, hunter-gathering that, like, we don't have anymore because we built cities and electricities. And then, like, the, his, the guest's like, oh, yeah, interesting. And then Joe Rogan's like, yeah. And he also talks a lot about, like, the Navi. <laughs> oh, I have seen this clip. Yes. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. I, I've watched it probably 50 times. But it cuts off right when it gets good. What's what the Navi? What's his point about the Navi? I know. That's all I want to know. That, that that was my complaint with the clip and why it didn't receive a Twitter like for me. When I was like, well, it didn't get into the good stuff. But I love that it's like it just hits you with that and cuts off. I think that that's... It's very TikTok in that way. But, I, but you know what? I, I want to get into the meat of it. I, I, I want to I know when Rogan's taking his family to Avatar Land. Um, yeah, I mean, well, as soon as Corona's over uh, is my answer to when I want to go to Avatar Land. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Been wanting to go to Avatar Land. Still want to go to Avatar Land. Never gonna stop wanting to go, even after I've gone. Can't think of one of a more uninspiring alien life form than the Navi. Like that one just goes in one ear out the other. It, like wipes my brain. I love the Navi. You love the Navi? No, that was a lie. I yeah. like the, I like that movie and I like that world. I do think the Navi are like. I mean, they just they speak to this point, right? Of like. The fun thing with that movie is all the non-human stuff, and the humaner it gets, the shittier it gets. Yeah. Um, and it's like uh, the Navi are a great example of that. Like the closer that, like the more humany shit they do, the less interesting they are. Like the Navi are most interesting when they're like attaching their braids together a sex way. Because mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, like, when they're, they're fusing. Yeah, they're like oh, that's new. That's yeah, you, you, you're right. It's like, oh, you think the scenes between the aliens are cheesy. Just wait till we show you a scene where two humans are talking to each other. Yeah. <laughs> Way worse. Yeah, it's like the more human things get in that movie, the less. That's why I've, I mean, I've said on the podcast on the stream, I'll say it everywhere. Like, the, all I want is just a four hour David Attenborough commentated Planet Earth documentary set on Pandora. Just right. like an old British man being like, and this bird has teeth. And it uses them to chop up wood. And it flies around carrying wooden sticks in its beak with teeth, only to be snatched up by the snake that has hands. Yeah, I, I hope they go meta and it's a different genre every movie. I think like we look at the same events, but but this time it's a it's a it's farce. A, it's a screwball comedy. <laughs> oh god, I'm a Navi now. How am I gonna tell my wife? Well, one of them is just a Charlie Chaplin esque 
Um, yeah. <laughs> he's trying to climb up the, the mother tree or whatever. The mother tree is just on falling fire. down and like hitting branches on, as he's like hitting every branch on the way down. One of the Navis is trying to fuse fuck its horse and it can't get it in. Yeah, there's like a there's like the Buster Keaton bit where like the heart tree falls over, but like the guy the, the hole lands right on top of the guy. And he's fine. Man. Uh, uh yo, you see this. Uh Halo Infinite breaking news. Halo uh, Halo break. Infinite pushed delayed the premiere game for the Xbox release not happening. You can't Okay, look. <laughs> look. This is like this should be like thing like obvious thing one is like don't even announce your premiere title for your system until you just until it's finished right yeah just it's, have it in the fucking chamber dudes i i think i think that or don't op- don't it's like in the same way don't reopen the schools yet like don't sell your console until you have the halo like right. because there's no point otherwise yeah no exactly it's in, either way it's the same thing like just like, just make sure that when you announce your, like, key sort of leading next-gen bundle, all the shit exists. That's it. That's, uh-huh. all, that's like, I feel like that's not even a crazy thing to say. Um, I think I think it's a little fucked up to say. Well, you know what? Maybe I'm just on the edge. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's like, uh, I just don't know what they're going to do now. I mean, on one on one level, it seems like Xbox has already sort of, like pulled up the white flag and like given up on the console wars because it's go it's like its eyes are set on like being the netflix of video games with the xbox game pass um and i think a lot of people are trying to be the netflix of an industry but like netflix just came around before anyone had any idea that was a thing and like now in the ecosystem like there's going to be other people trying to do that same thing and, and Netflix right. just had a monopoly on the idea at the time, but like there was no other competitors in the way that like now when people try to do a streaming service, there's going to be 15 other people doing it. Right. Well, it's this platform capitalism shit, right? Where like it's this idea that like if you can provide the source of content, then people are going to come back for the source irrespective of the content. Yeah. And like the Netflix way you're describing. But like two things about that. One, we know that's not true. People cancel like Quibi subscriptions all the goddamn time. Um, Except for me, I'm I am one of the bold uh, like thirty thousand that accidentally let it slip through the trial. <laughs> well, damn. Oh, yeah. Exceptions <laughs> that proves the rule, I guess. Um, oh, it's, but it's that, and then also like you, you make money, like it, it, you can make money selling the thing that does the platform too, right? Like that's the PlayStation model. Is like. Mm-hmm. It's like, yeah, we have PlayStation now. It's kind of like a Netflixy thing, and there's like some of that like 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 cloud gaming shit. But like, it's about you buy the PlayStation, you can get the games, whatever. Um, but it's like that you get the PlayStation. Like that's where the that's where the, they get their bang for their buck and whatnot. Um, and it's just sort of silly that the uh, fucking that Xbox just thinks that they can like make a games service and mm-hmm. that that's going to do it, especially because like. With Netflix, a big difference between, like, movie shit, whether it's, like, Netflix or Hulu or, like, Peacock or whatever, and this, is that, like, there's, like, a bajillion movies, and if I watch a bad movie for two hours, who cares? But, like, you gotta play a game for, like, a few hours at a time to even know if it's bad. Um, And so, like, it just doesn't work the same way. Well, I don't think it works in the way games are made now, but I think once this process starts to, like, actually happen on a larger scale and become more ubiquitous, games will just be made differently. They'll be made smaller and cheaper. 
Like yeah, just I in mean, the in the same way that like you see these Netflix movies and they just look like they all look like lifetime movies with half the budget. Like that same thing will happen to gaming. Like the games will just be smaller, thinner, less inventive, and more bland. Yeah, but see, I think I think the difference is that a lot of people who play games are way more invested in games being like good than people who watch movies on Netflix because mm. there are already so many good movies that exist. Like you Interesting. could go your whole damn life yeah, uh, and not watch all the good movies that exist right now, right? Huh. Um, you could definitely play all the good games if you like, right. really wanted to. Um, and so I think that if people start doing that, like doing like the Netflix original of gaming shit, uh, people would just be like, this sucks. Like, this isn't a fun way to spend 20 hours. Honestly, in the same way that Netflix is starting to, like, yeah. I mean, like, obviously Netflix has a huge hold, but, I mean, fuck. I don't, I don't troll Netflix looking for movies. Like, yeah. I wait for, like, the two things people tell me you have to check out, and then I leave that fucking disgusting fucking streaming service. Right. I mean, even, even Netflix, like, the Netflix originals, like, premise has, like, biffed it, right? Like, no, it used to be for a time, which is a pretty short time. That whenever Netflix did a dump of originals, everyone was like, I gotta see all the new Netflix stuff that Netflix has made, because they're making stuff, and it's cool. Um, but now, it's like, most people, like me, like people, I watch Netflix because like, they have all the licensing for a million other kind of fun movies that they didn't make, or whatever. Right. Um, and, that, and, and that's, that's by cool. design, because Netflix isn't trying to be an HBO curator. They're literally trying to replace television. And part of that is, is like, when television existed, you probably hated 70 to 80% of the content on TV normally. Totally. So totally. it like it's like, their, the, what their goal is effective. Whether like long-term people stay for that, we'll see. Yeah, but I just think that that makes so much more sense with movies and TV than it does yeah. with games. Just with games, right. Because there's just so much more of it. And, like, it feels like it's – games, like, still feel like they're getting better and better. I think a lot of people would argue – I don't know if I would argue this, but people are like, movies aren't as good as they used to be, um, some would say. Uh, and I think with games, no one's saying that games aren't as good as they used to be. Do you know what I mean? Like, Yeah, we're on an upward trajectory currently. Yeah, in a different kind of way. Um also, by the way, you're listening to the Game Boys podcast. We've been talking for 10 minutes. Um, you know when you hear a podcast and you get so entrapped, and then 12 minutes in, you're like, wait, what is this podcast called? <laughs> I just feel like, you know, we, you never know. We might have a new listener. Hey, what's up? Uh, hey, new listener. It's me, hey. Lux, and Griffin's here, too. Yes, we're here to uh, shepherd you in. Yeah, welcome. If, if you could make it through that that intro, that was just us having a regular us talking conversation uh, <laughs> to the part where we remembered we're doing a podcast. Congratulations, you've made it, and here we are. Um, yeah, I mean, I, but, but to, to get back to, to just games generally, I think the game we got to talk about today, before we talk about anything else, we got to talk about Fall Guys a little bit. Let's do it. Yeah. Let's go. I, lo- I love it. I fucking, yeah. I love it. Um, Battle, Battle Royale everything, apparently. I think yeah, we battle. should do battle royale dating sims. Yeah, yeah, totally. Uh, can you make it to the end where someone, uh, like, uh, where someone you choose who you love the most? I think the end is getting married, right? Yeah, if that, I mean that's life. you get or you get the rose or whatever. Kind of life is a a battle royale dating sim, and I think Damn. that's <laughs> that's incredible. Um, <laughs> But yeah, it's it's so fun. I have a lot to say about the design of it, but it's just like the first thing about it is just like, uh, it's it's so fucking fun. It also makes me so angry sometimes. Um, but it's overall really fun. Like if 
I'm pretty good. Not great, but I'm pretty good. I'm probably in the certainly in the top like twenty percent of gamers I know. At when a game is making me mad, just walking away from it. Um, uh, I know a lot of other friends of mine will get mad at a video game and yell about how much they hate it, and then I'll be like, just stop playing it, and then they're like, uh, no, I gotta beat it. I fucking hate when people tell me to stop playing it. It's like, oh, I had no idea that was an option. Yeah, no, I know that. I, I'm dialing in. I'm focusing. I'm, I'm. I'm creating an obstacle to destroy. I mean, fair enough. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't usually do that with James. Um, I usually just walk away uh, when something's bothering me. But this game is enough fun that, like, even when, like, even when I do like a seesaw thing and it takes me like most of the time to get past the first section, um, and I get frustrated, I still like a hang in to see if I can qualify and b just start another game afterwards, no matter what. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, I, I think the success of this game relies on a few things. Yeah, like the low stakes, quick ability to get back into another one, and just this idea that, like, it really shows me how many people are so desperate and hungry to play multiplayer games with their friends that aren't shooters. Like, it, we have a serious fucking drought, and this game is good, but I think a lot of what skyrockets this game is just the drought of multiplayer online. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that, like, that uh that corona has highlighted i mean i know that in like my buds discord we've like tried a bajillion games to be like the thing that we're all going to do together you know and for a while it was diablo 3 and that one okay yeah and then uh i you know we've done we we did like vermintide for a while and that was fun like nothing's really stuck around and i've started sort of tuned out on the like a game we all play together stuff just because it's like they're all fucking shooters. Even the, like, survival games end up being kind of shootery, like Rust or something. Yeah. Um, and it's like, I don't... Those, that's not... And, like, and they, and they all become me. sweaty. Because what I've been... what it, A synthesis as I play more Warzone is that, like, uh, every game now is sweaty in the sense that you, you can't just really log on and play a shooter anymore because... All the people that are playing that shooter have wake up every day and watch YouTube videos on how to get better at that game. Like the the amount of just like knowledge and just like mechanical kind of like YouTube video expertise. Every, everyone is min maxing now in this in this in this sort of online world. So just like the level of play on, on online is so intimidating, so much more than ever before. Right. Well, that that's a great way to get back to Fall Guys because. Um so, do you, uh, we've talked about Mark Rosewater on the show before, I think. He's one of the guys who designed Magic the Gathering. He's like, the, the people get mad because there's too much randomness, right? Like, you never know if you're going to draw the right cards or make it a bad hand or something like that. Um, and that, like, the best players don't always win because of this randomness. And he points out that, like, that's actually a good thing in the design, intentional part of the design. Uh-huh. Because randomness encourages new players. It gives new yeah. players a chance to overcome sort of players who play for a long time or have access yes. to cards or, like, know what they're doing better, etc. And Fall mm-hmm. Guys is, like, extremely good about that. Like, you can get a lot better at Fall Guys, but there's enough randomness that, like, any weirdo can win any given run of Fall Guys, and you can always feel close. Or if you're really good, you can lose in the first round. And, like, that can be frustrating, but it's also great for getting new kind of casual players to jump into the game. Right, because it's like, I, I've been playing shooters with my two or three friends that like shooters, but there's like a, a whole horde of people now that I can play Fall Guys with. Like, I played with Andrew this morning who, like, dusted off his PlayStation to, like, play it, you know, because he just does not game. And he got in there and we had some fun. And, and you know, I was thinking a lot about how I would relate. I would say this is, feels a lot like just, like, 
a few Mario Party games turned into like a battle royale. Um, and it, I just reflect on how lazy Nintendo is. Like, d- there could be a Mario Party online game that had a lot of these elements, and they just don't do it. Like, I've never seen a company just sit on mil- what could be millions and billions of dollars, you I mean, know, of possibilities. It was even further than, like, they didn't make this game, which, like, obviously is, like, now that this game exists, seems like such an obvious thing, except for that they suck it online. But, like, they also, like didn't don't give you fucking new extra dlc maps for mario party that anyone would buy that everyone would buy or like let you play mario party just online normal style with your friends like they don't do anything Um, it's just it's just complete abdication like it's just just fully punted on the idea of mario party online which now we're watching a less involved potentially like less well-designed game-wise mario Party. yeah just fucking dominate everything for a week and it's like oh you feel pretty dumb now nintendo right because i would say that most of these games i'll be honest with you like are gonna be flash in the pan for me like they like i I think like mario party has a lot much more mini games more diverse obviously it's hard to fit a battle royale into every style of mario party game a lot of them are built for like four players or whatever but like yeah i don't i don't know like i just really hope big companies like like to play a mario battle royale would be so cool like just to have the nintendo graphics and and design elements and the feel of the platforming like I, they need to wake the fuck up this is a this is a wake up call for nintendo i think yeah i think that's this is a call out post yeah we're calling oh, you out here we're and we're tagging you well yeah we're willing to attack nintendo we'll go for the giants because like it's it's insane that this game everything about this game is nintendo do you know what I mean? Like uh-huh. the colors, the shapes, the designs, the nature, like the literal, it, the, the shape, like what the game is. Some of the times it looks like they stole, like literally stole maps from Splatoon 2. Like yeah. it looks incredibly similar. Yeah. It's so intensely Nintendo. And if uh-huh. Nintendo can do Splatoon, there's like not much of a reason they can't do this. Yeah. Um, And so uh, I was just like. It's, it's just a really bizarre thing that this is a, a PlayStation game, not Nintendo game, or like it's money platforms that's not on Switch, notably. Also weird that it's not cross-platform, but I guess we can get into that, because there's like the weird like hacking controversies with this on PC. Do you know about that? Yeah, they just... The, the makers of this game thought that like 5,000 people were going to play it, and then it turned out to be the entire world played it, and like everything about the servers just fell apart. Yeah. Um, it's... It's been crazy. It's like people are doing fucking crazy teleportation stuff or, like, making their guys bigger or faster. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, they were totally, totally, totally unprepared. I mean, that's something that's been frustrating, but uh, that's, like, you know, that's part of it. Like, it's it's been frustrating just in the sense that, like, the servers are clogged all the damn time. Mm-hmm. And so it's, like, 50-50 that you know things are going to actually work right right um, yeah but at the end of the day it's it's a game that you can play with your family and i think we're going to see a lot more games and copycats like this that will you know uh expand on the formula and make it more nuanced and interesting um but uh speaking of 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 games for your family there's a game that i wanted to bring up that i haven't played yet but i'm very excited to called 
Fast and Furious, Crossroads. Oh, baby. Yeah, I've been hearing about it. Now, I, the, the one that I've been hearing lots of bad and mixed reviews about the game, and I'm not going to believe any of them. I think they're because most, as we've discovered on this podcast, most video game reviewers don't come with the right perspectives to different types of properties. You know, they, they want one thing, and if they don't get that thing, they're going to write a think piece about it. Um, but just look at the voice cast for this game. It might be the biggest, uh, greatest voice cast um, in gaming. I mean, we have most of the most of the original Fast and the Furious members here. I mean, Vin Diesel, Michelle Rodriguez, Tyrese Gibson. I mean, they're, they're bringing out some big hitter voice actors when they could have easily just hired video game people to do right, the voices. Well, this, is, this is like what we talked about in the wake of, uh, of Death Stranding. Mm-hmm. That yes. like now they can make games that it's like not crazy uh, to make games that are, have like movie level casting associated with them. Uh-huh. But um, it's it's movie level ca- but the difference between those is this one is movie level casting with PS2 graphics. Yeah. <laughs> and that's that's, what that's, what I've heard. that's that's what I've heard about this is that and that's why it's like, oh, that sounds like my perfect video game. <laughs> like, I don't know. That, that sounds like my Tony Hawk right now. Yeah, that sounds, to me, good, but <laughs> potentially bad. Like, in my brain, it's amazing. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in my brain, it's, like, the perfect thing where it, like, looks stupid, mm-hmm. but, like, works okay, and everyone's doing a good job of yes. acting and, like, doing the characters. And everyone's having a good time. The flip, of course is that it could totally just be glitched out garbage. Uh-huh. Uh, we can't know until we play it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and uh, we can't know, so we're going to have to ignore video game reviewers, but uh, there is a certain video game, uh, a video game writer, or I guess journalist, reporter, critiquer, opinion writer, uh, for Polygon, who wrote an article recently that I, I wanted to bring up uh, with you, Lux, because I, I know that you it caught your eye as well. Um, the article is by Ki Hoon Chan, and it's called "Games Need to Return to Black and White Morality." Well, my, uh, Fast Furious is going to get you there. <laughs> it's going to get you there, baby, because because guess what? Anyone that goes against my family is yeah. is a bla- is a black they hat. Don't, they don't they don't deal in shades of gray. Um, <laughs> yeah, family does not. No, you're either family or you're not, or you're roadkill. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but Lux, you've read this article, right? I have. Yeah. How did how, how did you feel uh, right off the, right off the top? To me, this think piece um, reads like uh, a lot of think pieces these days, where they they kind of like they kind of like play the chord of like every aspect of the issue without taking a stance or like building an argument to sustain like a specific opinion. It's kind of like opinion writers. Now they kind of like, they like think of an argument and they think of detractors of the argument and they kind of mention all the different sides without like having a cohesive argument of their own. Did you get that same feeling? Sort of my, it kind of did a little bit of that to me. What the problem with it is if the article had been framed kind of on the line along the line of, uh, like in praise of black and white morality in games, you know, I think that would have been better for me. Mm-hmm. But instead, their thesis is so weird. I think they do have a thesis, and their thesis is that like it's good to have aspirational games that have like clear black and white morality in the context of like worlds where it's hard to be moral or whatever. And that that's good. Um, I don't disagree with that. Like, I think that those games are good, and those stories are good and interesting. 
I do disagree that like that's the best kind. Yeah, it's weird. Like, it's like, like that's like yeah. by default the best kind. Yeah, it's like someone literally being like vanilla is the best, and we need more vanilla. It's like what the f- have you been paying attention? Like like five games question if vanilla is the only flavor, and now it's like well let's not forget about vanilla. I don't know. It, it, right. Well, no, and the and the problem is that um it's not interesting the the thing they run into with these games and some there are games that are like are like this that are cool and fun that i like it's like i'm not i'm not anti just strike black and white morality in video games. that's fine i think it mm-hmm. could be really good um but the problem you run into with this stuff is that you take a character with strict morality and you put them in a world where morals are dubious and iffy and shadowy and then they stick to their morality um, then the character is is like a paragon of what people should be like, and then if you have sort of a bad approach to sort of any element of the character that makes that like problematic or complicates their shit, all of a sudden your game doesn't make any fucking sense anymore. Um, like because if you have like say say you wrote a game like that and it's like a, a fantasy story about a noble hero. But the noble hero, like, is occasionally shitty to women because you have an all-male writing team. Then, like, uh-oh, like, now you have a story about a guy who's, like, the best kind of guy you can be and fight the evil power is a, a misogynist. Mm-hmm. Like, it's very easy to trip over your own dick with those games and make them extremely problematic. And I think that that's, like, not a reason not to make them, but it's a reason why you can't act as though... It, it amplifies the, the degree to which sort of flaws are it's are significant. Yeah, uh, I think if you get it down into those like minutia of it, but I think this writer misses the bigger question, which is like, why are these stories growing more popular and why were like heroic stories in like movie and TV like of like our like 80s and 90s, like why has that changed? Like why like why has our art and our and our storytelling become less just like out like good and evil, optimistic, altruistic ideas of the world? It's because we live is in a world that is like just full of defeat that it's a like a world that isn't optimistic and we don't have a clear sense of good guys win and bad guys lose ever in our real world so it's natural for our stories to reflect those situations like totally. it, it just like it, it seems like of course we're going to have a, a different a different uh, type of storytelling than we did in the in the in like you know the classic Spielberg era or whatever you know like it's of course it's a reflection of our times. Yeah, I mean you saw this. <laughs> we saw this historically speaking. Like we've seen this happen in like the seventies, right? Like Vietnam and sort of General and Watergate and shit happened, and all of a sudden we got a bunch of movies about morally ambiguous dudes dealing with a world where there were no rules and everyone's corrupt. Uh, and that's like, you know, that's, it, it's, it's a natural reaction. And I think that the author makes a decent point in that it's good to look for art or look to art for kind of like examples of how to rise above those scenarios. And that's what those sort of morally black and white games are for is to like aspire to a hero who can overcome the ambiguity of the world as like a pure moral agent. Um, and I don't think that's, I don't think that's wrong. Like, I think that there is extremely a value to that that I think is is important. But uh, I also think that it's not reasonable to expect that that's the stories that occur to people in the world that we live in. 
Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's just insane. It's just like it's it just feels like it's like a it just feels like a baby complaining. I don't know. Uh, I, I just don't get it. Um, yeah. And of course, they, they use the picture from The Last of Us 2 to sort of be the centerpiece, like framing of like these types of gray stories or whatever. Um, and it's and it's like I just don't. I, I, I think most uh, forgiving and, and like empathetic people like thought that Abby was eventually the much more rational person, right? I think probably, yeah. Like it didn't – like I know that they were trying to show like both sides of things or whatever and like that to me felt like a much more interesting story. I, I just don't – I, I don't see how it seems like an unfair uh, characterization of it. Yeah, well, I think it's I think you're right. I think that that is unfair, and I think that it's like it's sort of silly in in this way that like the one thing the world we live in right now asks us to reconcile with all of our like access to other people's shit and like online discourse about individuals and all that shit is that like like we understand that good people can be shitty sometimes. And that shitty people can do good things. And that, like, navigating that ambiguity is, like, a big part of being a person right now. And mm-hmm. I don't think it's any less uplifting to have a good guy who does shit, a good character who does shitty things than it is to have a good character who never does shitty things. I think that there's value to both those things. And it's very weird to me that this article seems to say that, like, this version is good, this other version is less good. Oh, yeah, and here's here's the real thing that I think that again a uh, a lot of people in in movies and TV um, they confuse seeing a bad thing with the artist endorsing that bad thing. Right. In the same way that when people got mad at Game of Thrones for like Sansa like being sexually assaulted, like they they misinterpreted that scene to be the Game of Thrones creators somehow endorsing sexual assault or like endorsing violence against women and it's like no, that's actually not how movies and TV work. Like, yeah. like scenes scene, aren't an endorsement, they're a portrayal of, of an event. Yeah, that scene was handled badly for other reasons, but there's no reason that scene shouldn't be a part of the story. Right. right? And, like, and I think was, it's the same here, and especially if I look at the end of this article, and I want to do I want to quote a little bit at the end of this article here, which is kind of her thesis, I start to get that from her and, and, and a lot of other people. It's that the oh, when I see something that makes me sad or problematic, I view that solely as an endorsement, not an exploration. Um, so quote is, I'm not saying that great story. So she says here at the end, I'm not saying that gray stories are never compelling or that goodness cannot exist in gray universes, but setting ethical considerations aside to craft such such fiction in games, however, can be actively disempowering. We don't currently need more redemption stories about villains or tales about the corruptibility of heroes. <laughs> That's very funny to me when I look at the Democratic Party. Uh, Wait, no, yeah, we, the number of games that tell us heroes and villains aren't that different has become numbing and demoralizing. Moralizing. Watching our heroes stick to their convictions, even against insurmountable odds, ratchets, ratchets up drama rather than destroying it. The concept that good can ultimately triumph over evil is a timeless one, and stories that rally around this trope, around unadulterated hope, can help guide us through the year's ceaseless onslaught of real-life calamities. That's the real thing, too. She basically is like, the news is too sad, so my games should just be candy. Right, like, it's like it's I fucking both, childish. I both sympathize that perspective because I do think there's value in, like, she, as as she says, watching characters maintain like a moral position in an amoral world. I think that there is something to that. I just also don't think that that's ex- like there's so many fucking games. 
Yeah. Like, it, it doesn't have to be exclusive with, like, other characters not doing that. And I understand that there's maybe an argument to be made that, like, every big market game, every, like, AAA title doesn't have to be, like, this this gray-toned story of ambiguity. Right. Um, But, like, you know, so, like, who cares? Like, sometimes they are, sometimes they're not. I mean, I'm, I'm looking at the list of games to come out for the next-gen consoles, and I struggle to find one that doesn't fit exactly in the trope of Hero walks into world and saves it. Like, I, I, I don't see any even coming up on, on the horizon. I Maybe Cyberpunk, but, like, I, I, I just, like, struggle to see this being like, oh, God, like, there's... Man, I just wish there was a freaking game where you could be the good guy again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those games definitely exist. They're definitely out there. Um, I mean, fucking just play fucking Final Fantasy VII. What are we doing here? Like, there right. are tons of games that are like that, and that's totally fine. I don't, mm-hmm. I just don't see the point in sort of impugning, like, people navigate crises in different ways, right? Like, uh-huh. Some people, it's totally good if what you want is stories of pure good overcoming pure evil. Like, look, I read fantasy novels every goddamn day. Like, I get it. Um, that's something that I totally understand. And I can totally understand the appeal of, and it's, it does help. It like makes you feel better about the world and things around you. And that's totally good. And I think that that's like a valuable thing the world can have other people. And I do this too. navigate those things by like engaging with stuff that talks about the world that they live in. And that talks about the, the problems they're having and, and stuff that exists like around them. And so ambiguous games that sort of implicate, you know, the assumption of good or the assumption of evil or like, who's the, who's the real kind man victim. Um, uh, like, that's all... Those, like, it's fine to interrogate those things. Like, the world is complicated. It's fine for art to also be complicated. Not all art needs to be purely escapist. Um, right. And it's fine for art to... Like you said, it's fine for art to represent things that are bad uh, without endorsing them. That's totally fine. Yeah, and um, I think that's the biggest problem that I, that I see happening in all sorts of, like... And, and just all sorts of media criticism is is seeing things that you don't like or make you feel icky or wrong and like like and immediately thinking the artist like somehow like condones and endorses that and that's like couldn't be I thought that just seems like such a such a like a preschool way of looking at any type of art or something right like, well I'll do that. I'll, I'll say this for that because uh, I think you're totally right it's like a very childish approach especially because um. It's, Whoa, Kamala Harris is oh, yeah, VP. Looks like, looks like it's Kamala. Okay. Oh uh, my wait, God. We'll, we'll get. We'll, okay. Yeah, oh. We'll, we'll get to Kamala, Kamala Harris in one second. Let me just wrap this up before Griffin goes. Out. <laughs> it's so funny. We saw it on Game Boys. Um. Let's. Uh. Let me. Let me say one thing for you. For you, on Kamala Harris, and then we'll get into Yo, it. Yo, let's go, dude. Oh, let's go. Welcome to Game Boys. We are uh, Kamala Harris. The K hype has been unleashed. Another win for the boys uh, in blue. Let's go. All right. Yeah, we're the blue party. Come on. The K hive. All right. Yeah. Okay. Um. I just want to say one thing about games art before we get into this. I know we're not going to oh, come back to this. Fuck, man. We're not. See, I know we're not going to come back to this. I'm just gonna say this quick. Oh. She did it. She Jesus did it, folks. Christ. Folks, we did it. Okay. So, when it comes to representation versus endorsement, the thing with art is that you have to like. Situate like art determines its own moral universe, and like you just have to watch the thing and see how it feels about the characters. If a character does a bad thing and the game says this guy is good, then like yeah that's bad. But if a character does a bad thing and the game says this guy is bad, that's not a problem. Now speaking of bad, let's talk about Kamala Harris. 
Holy shit. So let's talk about the person who's going to rule the Democratic Party for the next eight years. Holy shit. Damn. Hey, you know, it's funny because I was just talking to Goldenberg about uh, uh, how how cop centric Spider-Man is. He just beat it. Um, And so and now and now, hey, we're going to we're going to have all sorts of all sorts of cops from the from the top to the bottom, from the vigilantes in our streets to the presidents in our sheets. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, for real. <laughs> I mean, look, at least one thing I'll say for Kamala Harris is at least she's one of the sponsors on that $2,000 a month bill. Um, I don't know if that matters at all. She also was she also was a huge proponent of Medicare for all before completely snaking out of it. Yeah. Um so that gives me like some just like attempt to rationalize hope. Um, man, the K-Hive is about to be the worst shit in the world. I just, we literally, like, we gave, uh, I'm trying to think of, I'm trying to think of an analogy. Uh, it's like, fuck, man, it's some kind of cursed amulet. I I don't know. The the K-Hive is literally, like, I know we, a lot of people, we complain about how, like, the Bernie bros are unfairly characterized but like the k-hive is truly the worst fan base on the internet the most toxic k k-hive people want will will fucking kill you they want yeah. blood yeah i mean rory i wonder can we get I wonder, if rory's online maybe he can jump on because rory has so many thoughts about kamala harris dude get, get rory on um, here i'm messaging him right now but like he uh Let's see what Twi- let's see what Twitch says. To hop on pod and talk Kamala. Um, Damn, she did it! Hey, she did it. She did it. And look, respect. I, like there were there were worse options. <laughs> um. Honestly, yeah, this one makes sense. Damn, uh, dude, what a huge! I do. I knew it was gonna happen like today at some point. Yeah. Um. Oh, we got we got Bennington here. Bennington, you want you want to say anything about Kamala? Wait, come here, come here. I replied to uh, Mr. Biden, and I said, um, nice, now we can get a cop in the White House. And uh, Wow, owned. Uh, wow, yeah. Bennington's out here destroying it. Really Gretchen is, Gretchen's hella online right now. Everyone's online. The internet is bursting. Man, it was fun for us. to. It felt kind of like, like, I don't know, like, what? I don't know. It was fun. I also uh, I, I want these text updates when they say the br- price of the PS5. Yeah. So okay. So here's so the thing with my concern with Kamala Harris is there's a lot of them. Um, one of them uh, is simply that this reeks. So the problem with K Hive people, I think we talked about this on the show before, is that they fucking. Like have a very strictly identitarian perspective on what progressivism is. Sure. Um, and uh, that means that they think that policy doesn't matter, and that representation does matter. And when you push them on policy, they just yell at you about being a racist or whatever. Sure. Um, and and I and I and I would say that like we both agree that representation, uh, like it does have it's value. Super important. And is and is important, but if you look at everything from solely that perspective, like that is a path of failure. Yeah, exactly. It has to be tied to progressive policy, like policy yeah. that makes it easier for other people 
to other people to gain that kind of representation in similar places of power um, or in other circumstances. Uh, she has manifestly not done this. She's consistently opposed those things. Recently, she has done some okay talking, uh, no <laughs> action, um, but at least has like gestured towards some progressive ideals that is at least better than, say, a Biden. She's, um, I mean, she's the perfect, th that's like, we're going to give everyone who gets a grad degree and opens up a business for three years with a interest rate of 1.4, we're going to give them each $200. Like, it's like, it's like just weird fucking, like, it's like her policy proposals are like somehow like more means tested than like Hillary Clinton shit. Yeah, exactly. And so the problem here is that I, I worry the choice <laughs> There's a part of me that thinks the choice here is to have sort of, when you have, like, your leftist Rose Twitter, of which I am certainly a guy, um, etc., uh, sort of, uh, going online being like, Biden is going to, is not, we need to push Biden to the left, Biden's not left enough, Biden's got to do more left things, be actually progressive Biden. Now there is an online army of psychos. Yes, who the, already to Ar Arkham Asylum has been un un like right. unlocked. Exactly, like Arkham Asylum and what's the other like Blackgate Prison or whatever the other prison in Ar in, in uh, Gotham. They straight up been... like do death threats like every day in K Hive. It's epic. Yeah, exactly, and like now that army has been mobilized on behalf of of Joe Biden. The weird thing is, though, the K-Hive is, like, mainly white people, right? Like, be because, like, Kamala didn't do that well with African Americans, and that's why she dropped out, like, really early in the in the races. Like, she just didn't have a lot of support with anyone. Yeah, I, like, I... Except the media I, loved her. Yeah, and, and look, I, I think she had some good moments, uh, mostly at Biden's expense, to be honest. Right. <laughs> During the primaries. I don't think that she's, like an abject disaster uh, as far as the possibilities go. But I do just think that, like, this is just an attempt to continue to insulate Biden from criticism. And, like, that's not good. I, I understand that the DNC tactic right now, basically, is to insulate Biden from criticism in the run-up of the election because they're scared of, like, but her email's happening to him. And then get him into the presidency and then do this like return to normal thing that fucks over poor people. Um, mm -hmm. That's like their goal. Like that's their playbook. That's fine. Um, it's not fine. It's bad, but it's like, we know like this isn't news anymore. Um, and this just seems like another step towards that, that has no real policy considerations. I mean, I don't know for sure, but I'm don't have, like, I don't think Kamala Harris has done a lot of like sort of discussions of any of the policy goals that I really give a shit about. No, but that's not oh. what libs care about at all. Like they don't give that's a what I'm saying. They don't give a shit about that. I'm seeing. I'm literally. I'm seeing every every one of my friends who's a TV writer just being like, "Hell yeah!" Like you know that 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 shit is just part of their fucking DNA, and that's you know, I, it's gonna be hard to shake them out of that because they're because financially they're all comfortable. Like they're the system works for them. Like please don't change the system. Like they like they enjoy going to brunch and making over a hundred thousand dollars a year. Like they all own houses. It's fine, you know. Like that that's that's the vibe I get from this kind of candidate. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, like one thing I I do think about Kamala though, she's incredibly ambitious but i constantly get this feeling that she's a team player she does not seem like a cheney to biden's bush yeah uh that's uh that's funny because didn't wasn't like a week ago biden people all being like she's a cheney to biden's bush 
Well, I mean, literally, I think anyone could Cheney Biden simply because he's a corpse. But like, I, I this really is starting to feel like Obama's third term in a lot of ways. Like Obama simply has to go out and give a speech, and then Biden has to just go, "Yep, that sound good." And then whatever policy Obama speaks about, they can just adopt immediately and just run with it. We just saw that happen with the filibuster, like mm-hmm. where they where, where Obama came out and talked about abolishing it, and then Biden was like, "Well, I'd I'd be okay with that." Like this, just in a lot of ways, just it, it feels like a like the it feels like the two most powerful people are taking orders from someone else. <laughs> yeah, who is who is in turn in service to like a, a secret cabal of rich Democrat donors? And uh, got, so that was the Washington game, folks. Uh, yeah, the well, game of game of life. Uh, I'll I'll sum this up with a good tweet from a fellow gamer, Felix Biederman. Yeah, let's do who it. He says uh, Kamala is a perfect VP, someone you were told you were excited for, but had to drop out of the primary before voting even began due to lack of interest, but not before morally castigating the guy who picked her and then backtracking. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, that's what mm-hmm. we're looking for. And, like, yeah. there is there is one thing that people are very into is, like, the, the Kamala versus Pence debates. Um, sure, whatever. Surely. Uh, boring. You know, They'll be boring yeah. as hell. Yeah, I mean, surely she'll probably roast him a little bit, but probably she'll, uh, he'll make some racist comments that work. Um, and it's going to be a fucking mess. The, uh. I just don't know. I think that to me sounds like a lot of platitudes and like a few fire offs about like him being racist. And then it's just like, okay, like no, we I know my Pence is racist. I think she'll do what she did to Biden. And then he'll be like, you're a woman and you're black. And then all the Trump people will be like, yeah, got her. Right. Um, I think that's basically how it's going to go. And then like, it's, it's a, uh, it's crazy because it's just like right now in the middle of all of this shit where people are like, we need to rethink what policing is mm-hmm. that he just picks a cop. And I understand it's like, She's black, she's a woman, she's relative to other Democrats, maybe, like, slightly more progressive in, in some ways. Um, she's a pretty good public speaker at times, although sometimes she's fucking awful. Um, and, like, I, I get it, but it just sort of, it seems so, like, like, this is the thing. This is the thing with every elected official these days, I just wonder about it. It's like, what, why do you want to be elected if you don't have any interest in doing anything once you are elected? <laughs> It's, yeah, I mean, it's all it's all ambitions, and you know, it's like at the end of the day, she got what she wanted, and you just gotta say, uh, it's it's good to be Elizabeth Warren right now, you know, good to be Elizabeth Warren. Just she uh, she really tried to get that spot. She bent over backwards. God, man, I mean, I just yeah. How does Warren I, feel about this? I mean, just I just don't see. It just, uh, Warren could have been fucking VP, man, in a fucking Bernie administration. And instead, she just, like, turned her fucking back, like, uh, and just started, like, dropped out fourth in her own fucking state or, like, third in her own state, didn't didn't endorse Bernie, talked shit on Bernie supporters, was positive about Biden. Just, just sad, man. Just such a sad turn. I, I, I watched her. I watched a video of her talking about the TPP trade from 2016, and it was just looking at a different person. And I just, she just got so, so lost, and, and I just don't see what political future she has. I mean, we'll see. But yeah, it doesn't look great. Um, man, they will say one of the one of the upside upshots to this is that uh, you might get a chance at like a. 
a real progressive uh, fucking uh, senator in California. Hey, that's true. Yeah, get get, get clean clean that seat off. Yeah, uh, let's get let's get a real progressive in. Someone um, someone's got to take that spot, and maybe it could be someone cool. Maybe it could be someone from the Game Boys podcast. Hey, maybe it could. Bennington. <laughs> uh, well, hey, uh, you know, Kendrick, I'm, I'm, it's your time. Anyone that was here for the games has turned this off by now. So uh, thank you guys. Uh, have a, have a great day. And uh, I don't have anything to plug. Uh, go follow Haley's Instagram. Eat every sound for some yeah. fun ASMR. Um, yeah, Biden Harris, let's uh, roll. Let's rock. Let's let's, fin- let's finish this fight. Let's let's see what happens. I mean, Oh yeah, it's gonna be. God damn it! Oh, so <laughs> it was upset. it was fun to experience live with you, Lux. It was fun to experience live together for sure. But now I'm just like angry. <laughs> I need a yeah. cigarette. Um, yeah, we both do. All right, man. Well, let's uh, wrap this recording. Thanks everyone for listening, and uh, I'll talk to you. Later.